Well, good morning. Great to be back and great to be with you this morning. If you have a Bible, please find in yours Isaiah chapter 9, the ninth chapter in Isaiah. This morning we shall turn in our Bibles several times, uh, but to make life easy for us, we will turn several times only in the book of Isaiah. Now, this morning we we begin after being away from our series for a few weeks, and I thought we might begin with a quick review of where we have been. You may remember a year and a half ago, we began a verse-by-verse -verse study through the book of the Revelation, and we came recently to Revelation 20, and we were introduced to two words six times, 1,000 and years, 1,000 years. This period is often called the Millennial Kingdom. The Latin Mila means 1,000. Now, you may also recall, after our very first lesson on the Millennial Kingdom, I received an email. I've been keeping this email in front of us the last several weeks because we have now taken the direction, the direction of the emailer uh, because he has some wonderful questions in his email. He began, I'm a little rusty here, speaking of the kingdom, but I assume if they will have the kingdom restored, they be in Israel, uh, they had it in the past. Was that pre-judges, he asked. What were the characteristics of the kingdom? What changed when it was lost? How will the new one uh, compare to the old? And maybe that's a whole sermon, he asked. Just thinking about yesterday's lesson also got on topic with someone yesterday, which was good. Five questions in that email, and we began our thoughts by responding to the conclusion. The emailer concluded his email, also got on topic with someone yesterday, which was good. And my, my entire lesson the following Sunday revolved on why it's good to get on the topic of the kingdom. And the reason why it is good is because so many in the Bible have. The first person in the New Testament to get on topic was John the Baptist. Matthew 3 and 2, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice how repentance and the kingdom are inextricably linked. Jesus did the same thing. So did Peter, Paul, and John. They all preached the kingdom. They all got on topic, but they also all preached repentance. Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Hosea, Zechariah, Jeremiah, all preached the kingdom. They all got on topic, but they also preached repentance. I don't know about you, but if the Bible is going to be our guide, don't you think we too should get on topic by preaching repentance and the kingdom together? Why repentance and the kingdom together? Well, because in both Testaments, repentance is incentivized by kingdom characteristics. Repentance is incentivized by kingdom characteristics. Which brings us to the reason why the kingdom is a good topic. The emailer's second question. What were the characteristics of the kingdom? Our very first lesson on the characteristics of the kingdom was all about location, location, location. Where is the kingdom? Not all Christians agree. Some Christians would say, if you want to know where the location of the kingdom is, look in your heart. The kingdom is in the heart of the believer. 
a Jesus who rules and reigns, often mentioned in the scriptures, they would argue he rules and reigns in the hearts of believers. So for them, the kingdom is in the heart of a believer. Others see the kingdom's location as being heaven. The kingdom is in heaven. Others see it in the present, something we are living in in this very moment. It's not a literal kingdom. Uh, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's been going on for the last couple of thousand years since Jesus came, died, rose, and left. And others see the kingdom as an intermediate state, some spiritual, mystical existence between two points. So where is the kingdom? Well, we devoted an entire lesson to that question and its answer. Matthew 6 and 10, your kingdom come, your will be done where? In your heart? In heaven? In some intermediate state? No. Your kingdom come, your will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. Location, location, location. The kingdom is on the earth. Three weeks back, we read a great kingdom passage. Psalm 2, 6 through 8. But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. And we learn that Jesus is the king and my holy mountain is Israel. Now, why is that important? Because the Lord, after teaching his disciples for 40 days about the kingdom, the disciples said, Lord, is it at this time that you're going to restore the kingdom to whom? Israel, his holy mountain. Psalm, Psalm 2 again. But as for me, I have installed my king. Upon Zion, my holy mountain, I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. I want you to keep that thought in your mind. The king, the son is the king. The king is the son. And I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. Now, here comes location, location, location. And the very ends of the earth as your possession. The kingdom is throughout the very ends of the earth. Not in our hearts, not in heaven, not some intermediate state, but this earth. John affirms this in Revelation 11 and 15, the kingdom of the world. What world? Well, the kingdom you and I are living in. This world, the kingdom of the world, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Why was it important we began the emailer's second question concerning the characteristics of the kingdom with the kingdom spreading to the very ends of the earth? Well, this morning we want to take a closer look at our Lord's kingdom by looking at his government. His government will rule the entire earth. His government will be absolute in its authority and power over the entire earth. His government will produce righteousness and justice and peace over the entire earth. Notice Isaiah, as I read verses 6 and 7, Isaiah 9. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from, on, from then on and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. Let's begin by talking about that word government. It means rule, dominion, reigning. There will be no end to the increase of his government. Whose government? 
Well, verse 6, this child born to us. And notice this child born to us is the Son of God. The psalmist said so in Psalm 2, but as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the, the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. When Jesus was born, let me ask you this question. When Jesus was born, verse 6, was there no end to the increase of his government, verse 7? When Jesus came the first time, did he rule and reign for 1,000 years? The answer is no, right? So what then are we to learn from verses 6 and 7? Well, verse 6 speaks to his first coming, and verse 7 to his second coming. And thus far, there's been a long gap in time between these two points. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore. I would submit to you these are kingdom characteristics. And I'd like to ask, does that sound like a good topic? 1,000 uninterrupted years of ruling the entire earth. 1,000 uninterrupted years of justice, righteousness, peace, forevermore. The psalmist said in Psalm 7, 72 and 8, he will rule from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Location, location, location. The kingdom is on this earth. Revelation 21 and 2, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding the key of the abyss and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan. Now listen, and bound him for a thousand years. Does anyone feel like the devil has been bound? You ask, why are you asking that question? I want us to know we're not living in the kingdom. The kingdom is not in our hearts. It's not in heaven. It's not some intermediate state. There is nothing at all that resembles the kingdom. Now get this, in Israel's past or the church's present. What makes the government of his kingdom such a great and good topic? Well, four descriptive names that produce four kingdom characteristics, and I would submit to you each one is a good topic. I'll take the first name in Isaiah, chapter 9, verse 6, Wonderful Counselor. Now, the word wonderful and counselor belong together. And this name, I'd like to add, is only used of God and what God does. It is never used of what man, because man can't do what God can. All governments attempt to counsel but not all can produce what our Lord's kingdom can. Let's look at another kingdom chapter in Isaiah. Keep your fingers in Isaiah 9. We're going to come back and remind ourselves of these four names. Keep your fingers in Isaiah 9 and turn with me to Isaiah 25. Isaiah 25 and 1. O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will give thanks to your name. For you have worked wonders, plans formed long ago. 
with perfect faithfulness. In a moment, I will demonstrate why this is a kingdom chapter. But first, I would like to draw your attention to the word wonders. It is the same word found in wonderful counselor, a name given to the son in Isaiah 9. May I ask all the plans made by all governments, do any of them produce perfect faithfulness? All governments make plans and promises, but do they keep their promises? How many times do governments promise their citizen citizens something? They tell us, here's our plans. And they remain unfaithful to those plans. Maybe they are unfaithful because they realize their plans were not what? Perfect after all. Even more disturbing than Christians who are Republicans who think Democrats are the problem, or even Christians who are Democrats who think Republicans are the problem, even more disturbing is they do not understand the solution to the problem. The solution to the problem is not a Republican government, a Democratic government, but the government of God ruling this entire earth. Plans that end in perfect faithfulness that comes from wonderful counsel is a characteristic of the kingdom. We will never have to second-guess this government that we're reading about. We will never have to wonder, is there a conspiracy? Now, we know Isaiah 25 is a kingdom chapter because of verse 8. Notice Isaiah 25 and 8. He will swallow up death for all time. And the Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces, and he will remove the reproach from his people from heaven, hearts, Intermediate state, all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. Has this ever happened? No. Location, 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 all the earth. Our Lord's government will rule all the earth. Isaiah 25 is a kingdom passage, if ever there was one. Revelation 21, 3 and 5, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. We now know from lessons in Zechariah chapter 14 that all who remain after the battle will go to Jerusalem year after year to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. What does Isaiah 25 and 8 say? The Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. Revelation 21 and 4, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Isaiah 25, he will swallow up death for all time. Revelation 21 and 4, and there will no longer be any death. Revelation 21 and 5, and he who sits on the throne said, who sits on a throne? Kings sit on the throne. Here we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords sitting on David's throne in Jerusalem. And we see, we see the characteristics of the kingdom. Tears wiped away, death swallowed up for all time. Let's look at his second name. Return to Isaiah 9 and find his second name in verse 6, Mighty God. Just like Wonderful Counselor is a name only attributed to God, I think it's crystal clear, Mighty God 
is only attributed to God and never to a man. Look at Isaiah 10 and 21. We don't have to go very far from Isaiah 9, the name, to what this name will produce in the kingdom. Look at Isaiah 10 and 21. A remnant will return, the remnant of Jacob, to the mighty God. Who is this mighty God in Isaiah 10? Well, how about the mighty God of Isaiah 9, this child, this son, who, when he returns, will restore Israel to himself. The remnant has begun to return. The Jewish people have begun to return. Do you know what the whole world is in for when he returns a second time to restore the remnant in Israel? Look at Isaiah 10, 23 through 25. For a complete destruction, one that is decreed, the Lord God of hosts will execute in the midst of the whole land. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people who dwell in Zion, do not fear the Assyrian who strikes you with the rod and lifts up his staff against you the way Egypt did. For in a very little while, my indignation against you will be spent and my anger will be directed to their destruction. For thousands of years, the nations have been warned, I will bless those who bless you, Israel, and I will curse those that curse you, Israel. Do you know what makes the kingdom a good topic? God's perfect faithfulness to Israel. Look again at chapter 9, and let's look at his third name. This one has caused much confusion. Isaiah 9, his third name, Eternal Father. Many have been confused in how this could apply to Jesus the Son, since the word Father is in the name. Uh, the text literally says Father of Eternity. This could never be said of a man. My name is Michael. We could never say Michael is the Father of Eternity. That would be blasphemy, because that would insinuate I was God. Only God is eternal. Only God has no beginning or end. Only God. It is one thing to say we receive eternal life. It is another thing to say I am the father of eternity. Now, did not Jesus say in John 14 and 9, if you have seen me, you have seen the father? What did he mean? Well, there's nothing in the nature of the father that is not in the son. They are both equally God. Just like his father possesses all the attributes of deity, all of them, not some of them, all of them, and and the Son, like the Father, is the Father of, eter of eternity in that he has no beginning or end. He is the Father of time. He is the Father of eternity. Before time began ticking, Jesus was. Why, why would this be a good kingdom topic, that Jesus is the Father of eternity? Because he came promising eternal life. It is he who controls our days, our destiny. Isaiah 25, verse 8, he will swallow up death for all time. That Jesus, the Son, is the Father of eternity, makes him the source of eternal life. Let's look at his fourth name. Isaiah 9 again, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 26 and 3, the steadfast mind thou wilt keep in perfect peace. Isaiah 26 and 12, Lord, you will establish peace for us since you have also performed this, all our works. Now, the work of the kind of peace found in the kingdom is attributed only to God. 
why would peace be a good kingdom topic? You almost do not even have to ask, but since I am asking, why would peace be a great, good kingdom topic? Over the last 3,421 years, only 268 of them have been without war. Do you know what governments are good, good at? Promising peace and making war. Promising peace and making war. That is unfaithful in their promises. Not, not God, not this kingdom. Perfect faithfulness. For 1,000 consecutive years, there will be perfect peace. Micah 4 and 4, each of them will sit under his vine and under his fig tree with no one to make them afraid. The mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Doesn't that sound like a good topic? No more fear. No more fear that some little dictator will push a button and blow a nation to smithereen. Are we living in a state of perfect counsel today? Could the counsel we live under be called wonderful? Are we living in a time where Israel has her land fully restored to her? Are we living in an eternal state where there is no death for us? And what about peace? How are we doing in the peace department? All four names describe characteristics of the king, but I would add the characteristics of the king derived from his name produce kingdom characteristics, and they're all good to get on topic. These characteristics cannot be confused with any time in the past or any time in the present, but only the future kingdom. There's another kingdom characteristic related to his government that makes for a good topic. His government will be absolute in its authority and power. Absolute. Now, why would we get on this topic? Well, just when something good happens, the power of evil defeats good. Why is that? This world, 1 John 5 and 19, we know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. What will happen to the devil during the kingdom? He will be bound. His government's power, the devil's power is running our world today. Is, is our Lord's government running our world today? No. Not, not when you allow the scriptures to dictate what the kingdom will be. One day, Psalm 2 and 9, he shall break them with a rod of iron. He shall shatter them like earthenware. When he comes with his power, Revelation 19, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And what happens in the next chapter? 1,000 years begins and the devil is bound. Has that ever happened? No. And the reason? The kingdom's not in our hearts. The kingdom is not in some intermediate state. The kingdom is not in heaven. We're talking about the government of his kingdom, and his kingdom is on earth. Let me give you another good kingdom topic. Turn one last time to Isaiah 11 and 4. Isaiah 11 and 4. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the afflicted of the earth. And he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. The very thing he slays the earth with in Revelation 19 when he comes to usher in his kingdom. 
Notice how justice with fairness for the poor and the afflicted of the earth is associated with his striking the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He will slay the wicked. Jesus must come for this kingdom to come. Do you have to picture this verse is painting in our hearts? Man takes advantage of men. Man takes advantage of men. Poor men. They are unfair towards their fellow man. Innocent men are railroaded by a court system, and Jesus comes and brings his government and his kingdom with absolute power and authority, and the poor are treated with justice and fairness. The government of Christ in the millennium will be that of righteousness and justice and fairness and peace, and none of that could be confused with anything the world has ever seen. Righteousness and justice will characterize the millennial kingdom in contrast to the corrupt governments of our present world. Jesus says, Matthew 25 and 34, then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Do you know why the kingdom is such a blessing to inherit? Answer simply, the characteristics of the kingdom. The kingdom of this world with all its unrighteousness, unfaithfulness, injustice, and war will become the kingdom of our Lord whose government will overthrow all the governments of this world with absolute power and bring to this world perfect righteousness, perfect justice, perfect counsel, perfect wisdom, perfect peace, and eternal life because he is the father of eternity. Daniel 7 and 14, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. You know what I say? Repent for the kingdom is at hand. Repentance is incentivized by kingdom characteristics. You're not going to find this from the leader of any government. You're not going to find this from the leader of any political party. You're only going to find this from Jesus Christ, God's only son, and the scriptures prophesy of what the future will bring. Repent. Repent and believe the gospel today. The word repent means to change your mind. Change your mind about what? Who Jesus is and who you are. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the eternal son of God. He has no beginning. Jesus is the one Isaiah said will be born of a virgin. And his name is Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the one who led a sinless life, died on a cruel tree, rose again from the dead on the third day and ascended to his father's right hand. And this Jesus is coming again. But you also must change your mind about you. I had to. I have to change my mind about me in, in, in what regard. Well, how am I going to get into the kingdom? How am I going to inherit the kingdom? Most people have been led to believe by religion that the way to heaven, the way to the kingdom is to be good. I needed to change my mind on this subject many years ago. And here's why. The Bible's definition of who is good and who isn't. 
James says, if you keep the whole law and you stumble at one point, you're guilty of all. 613 laws in the law. If you stumble in one of them, you're guilty of all of them. You know what this teaches us? The law demands perfection. This is why Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And right about now, you ought to be saying, well, I'm not perfect. What do I have to do? Transfer your faith from yourself to Jesus, who is perfect and who died for all your imperfections. Repentance means to change what you believe about who Jesus is and who you are. But repentance is also a change of mind about how you behave. You see, there's power in the gospel. The gospel doesn't just change my intellectual beliefs, but my emotional behaviors. I look at sin differently. I look at right and wrong differently. All of a sudden, within the heart, there is the ability to live righteously for Christ. It's the work of God. He who began a good work and you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. The one who began the work. If the work is beginning in you and you're hearing the gospel and you're saying, yes, I want to repent. I want to believe the gospel. That's God at work in you. And when God is at work in you, he not only changes your beliefs, but your behaviors. Well, my friend, I hope this morning's lesson found you listening and hearing. We need a new government in this world, but you're not going to find it at the ballot box. You're only going to find it when Jesus comes. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 